Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. chapter 7, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, starting in verse 31. Jesus had last couple of miracles. You can see what he's been doing. He kind of started in Capernaum. And then he went to Tyre and Sidon, which were great Old Testament cities, but had been conquered by the Greeks and now the Romans. He spent some time in Tyre. In our passage 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon up at the north. And then he cut south and he came uh, to the Jordan River into the area uh, ruled by Philip. Philip was the brother of Herod. He was placed there by the Roman government. The Roman government, Philip was, uh, I don't know, king of the Gentiles. He really had no title. He was a military leader. Uh, John the Baptist, and in killing John the Baptist, came on the scene had been raised from the dead. And so he was very interested in finishing the work with Jesus. Philip had no designs for that. So Jesus kind of cut over to the right, going down into Philip's area. He was trying from the various difficulties that were that were coming on with Herod. Uh, and the Pharisees and the chief priests, and he wanted to be alone with his disciples for the crucifixion that is to come. And so he's in the area north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, To look at the topographical, you can see that the Tyre and Sidon and the trip was very hilly. It wasn't smooth sailing. It wasn't, the Middle East is not a cue ball. Uh, It's very hilly. It's very difficult. And going from Capernaum to Sidon back down to Galilee is a trip of about 75 miles. And so Jesus would be walking that. He'd be walking that fairly slowly because wherever he went, large thongs of people would follow him, and of course, a large group following you would slow you down. So he goes north, then he goes east, and he comes to a place called the Decapolis. According to our passage, the Decapolis was a collection of ten cities. Decapolis literally means ten cities. And it was assembled, if you will, or populated by the Greeks and then the Romans, And the Romans decided that this area of ten cities would be 
uh, a, wor- a place of worship for their false gods. And so they, there were temples to Zeus, Zeus, Aphrodite, Artemis, Dionysus were in this area in these ten cities. And so Jesus is walking through this area, a very Gentile, a very uh, idol-worshipping sort of place. But he doesn't have the Jewish opposition in this area. And so he goes down through it, and he ends up in uh, Gennesaret, which is where he encountered two demon-possessed people living amongst the tombs. And he released the demons, put the demons into the uh, pigs uh, that were on the hillside. And so this is a very famous story. And from this, the demon-possessed people ran into the towns and into the Decapolis and told everybody about Jesus. And so he's getting more into the area where he has fame, where people know him. And in verse 32 it says, And they brought him. So who are they? Well, they are friends and family. Jesus is now in an area where people say, Wait a minute, I've got this relative, I've got this friend who's deaf and mute, and here's Jesus, and maybe Jesus can do something to help this. The request is actually lay hands on him. Okay? The one lesson from here is you don't tell Jesus how to do a miracle. He does not lay hands on the person. It says, they brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him, Jesus, to lay his hands on him. Because of how the passage doesn't say things or does say things, the understanding or the belief is that this person was born deaf, that it was a congenital disease, that he was born without the mechanisms or the ability to hear. And the word for impediment literally means a not straight talk or crooked talk. We would say tongue-tied. So he doesn't have the ability to form the words and use his tongue to get words out, and you would say, well, well, why is this? Was he in an accident, or was there a difficulty? And the idea that if he was recently deaf, that if somehow there was an accident last week and he was deaf, he probably would be able to talk, unless it was such strong brain damage. If we believe that he was born deaf, then the ability to talk, especially 2,000 years ago, wouldn't be there. If you have a child, if you have a baby who is born deaf, deaf today, the government, associations, nonprofit schools would move heaven and earth to get that child communicating. You can see on TV, the, a politician is talking or somebody is talking about an event in the lower corner there would be somebody signing so that the deaf in the community could know what's going on. Today we have, uh, we have implants, we have education, we have all manner of things to include the deaf into our society and to get them communicating. 2,000 years ago, if a baby was born deaf, it would be understood 
that there was something wrong here, some judgment was upon them. The Jews would even say that if you're born deaf, you had God's judgment upon you. Some people would call it demon possession or some sort of demon influence. And this sort of person would be isolated, that nobody would take the time to teach them to communicate. They didn't have the ability to hear language. Uh, A child in a normal hearing family would hear their parents or teachers say things, and the first thing a child does is imitate what they hear. And their language will imitate the people who have influenced them, which may include slang, which may include an accent, because they've done things where they've taken people born in Australia or England, where you have a strong English accent, and moved them to Georgia, and they have a southern accent, okay? And so things have happened where they've, they've understood that if I am hearing people talk, I will learn how to talk. I will learn the vocabulary. I will learn the idioms. I will learn what to say. And then as a young child, I may stumble or misspeak, and, and you know, such is life. You get embarrassed, and you move on, and you learn. And you learn how to talk in society. If a person is deaf 2,000 years ago, There is no sign language. There is no way to get the language into the person's head. No way for them to learn vocabulary. No way to learn anything about communication because the people of the society did not want to take the time to do it. And so they bring this person to Jesus and Jesus 33 and taking him aside so he removes this person from the crowd may have gone into a house may have gone around the corner we don't know how aside he was but he was basically alone him and the disciples were with this person and Jesus does some exaggerated activities. He does a very rudimentary form of of sign language because he cannot tell the person, I am going to heal you. That's, you know, that's what people do when the person's deaf, you speak louder. I am going to heal you. You know, the guy wouldn't, you know, I, I don't know what you're saying because he was stone deaf, heard absolutely nothing. Okay. And because of that, he didn't learn how to talk. So he has a speech impediment. We might say he was tongue-tied because of that. He didn't know how to form the words because one way that we learn to speak is I say something and I hear it. I hear myself. I get an auditory feedback. And so I can learn what my voice sounds like. I can learn how to speak better because I hear myself. He had nothing like that. And so Jesus takes him aside And he puts his fingers into his ears. Now, there's nothing magical about that, but here's a person who still had feeling in their head, and he feels Jesus' fingers go into his ears. And that is telling this person 
that Jesus is going to do something with his hearing. Okay? There's not a lot of explanation, but he's letting the person know Jesus knows about his hearing problem and he's going to do something about it. So he hears in his ears. Then he spits and he touched his tongue. Now we look at that and go, ew. But saliva was medicine in Jesus' day. Every doctor that was working on you or trying to fix a cut or something would spit on the cut and fix it. That is basically what they thought medicine was. We don't do that today because we know what germs are, but they did not. And so he spits in his hand and he grabs the guy's tongue. Now the guy knows he can't speak. He doesn't feel the vibrations when he, when he opens his mouth. So Jesus has put his fingers in his ears and grabbed his tongue. So he's telling this person through exaggerated movements that he's going to do something to fix this situation. He then, in the seeing of the person, looks up to heaven. Now, the person is a pagan. The person is an idol worshiper. But every religious person, no matter what religion, even today, would say there's power up there. If I'm going to look for divine power, if I'm going to look toward God, whichever God you believe in, you look up. So this guy is getting the knowledge that Jesus is looking for some level of divine power. These are all exaggerated movements to calm and inform the person who can't hear. He then said to him, Ephaphatha. Ephaphatha is Aramaic. Aramaic is a common street language, if you will. Pretty much everybody learned some level of Aramaic in Jesus' day. There is evidence that even all the way back to Abraham, Abraham in formal situations spoke Ugaritic. But at home and stuff, we found evidence that people of the Ur of the Chaldees spoke Aramaic, a form of Aramaic. It is like a street slang that has lasted for thousands of years. And Mark gives us the Aramaic word, and then he says, that is, uh, be open. So he gives us the English translation. So Jesus has done these things to this person, and then says, be opened, and his, he could hear. Jesus rebuilt, Jesus created from scratch his hearing stuff. I don't know if you remember from, you know, way I remember from being a child, you have in your ear, you have an anvil and a hammer and a stirrup, these little bones, and these things are very tiny bones, but this person may not have had those. Jesus created that. He created an eardrum. He made this person hear. It also says that he spoke plainly. So here's somebody who knew no language, who knew nothing about communication, who had never effectively communicated in any great way in his life. He may have pointed or grabbed things, but that's, be, that's the level of his communication. 
So Jesus not only rebuilt his ears, he rebuilt the language center of his brain. He put in this person's head the complete vocabulary of Aramaic, of probably Greek, because you had to know Greek to go to the ports, you had to know Greek to go to the uh, marketplace cities, Greek was the official business language. Aramaic was the official street language. You had to know them both to some degree. It says, this person spoke plainly. This person spoke like someone who had been all the way through high school and had understood the words and has now speaking them like it was second nature, like it is for most of us who speak. And so Jesus was able to pour into his head in an instant a level of understanding, a level of education, a level of knowing what to say so that the person didn't stumble, didn't stammer, didn't, uh, 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 he spoke plainly like someone who has been speaking his whole life, like a hearing person. So Jesus healed the complete package. Jesus healed everything about this person so that 2,000 years ago he could communicate plainly and cleanly. The word for spoke plainly, um, as when it says impediment, that means crooked, plainly means straight or righteous. So he was speaking correctly in complete sentences without speech therapy, didn't have to go to a hospital, he's all, everything instantly healed, which is how Jesus healed every disease and every problem that is out there. And so the next verse is kind of sad because for the first time in his life, this guy is speaking plainly and Jesus says, shut up. So Jesus charged them to tell no one because he didn't want um, people to come against them. He's kind of on the uh, northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee where there isn't a ton of opposition to him at this point. But he knows, he knows how human nature is that if they start spreading the news that he will that once again have crowds he will once again have opposition of people who feel that he is stealing their thunder. But no matter how much he said, don't talk, he said more zealously they proclaimed it. They are a zealot. They are a fanatic about telling people about Jesus. That is what zealous means. It means that I wake up in the morning... I'm obsessed with it. I am fanatical about it. I must tell people about Jesus Christ. And so his fame moved all around the area and eventually culminated in him being arrested and crucified for the sins of the world. And so in 37, it says, And they, the people, the crowds, were astonished beyond measure, says he has done all things well. This is a phrase that is idiomatic, and it means he has done all things perfectly. He has done all things 
righteously. There is nothing wrong. We can take everything that Jesus did, they said, and they find nothing wrong with it. There's no criticism in what he did. And Jesus even said that to the Pharisees when he said, which of these miracles do you crucify me for? And they say, we don't do it for the miracles. They're fine. We do it because of what you said, because you made yourself equal to God. And he says, even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And that is, a, that is an Old Testament understanding. If you go through the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, one of the signs of Messiah, one of the signs of the anointed one of God actually coming and being amongst us is that the deaf hear and the mute speak. You see that in Isaiah 29, Isaiah 30, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 35, and Isaiah 65. It is a repeated theme, and if these people had any knowledge of the Old Testament, if there were Jews in the group that had been to synagogue, they have heard this prophecy over and over and over again that when God finally comes to save his people, he will make the deaf hear and he will make the mute speak. And so we see from this that Christ's compassion knows no bounds, Christ's stamina knows no bounds. He's walking for 75 miles and still takes time to heal this person. Christ's power knows no bounds and Christ's love knows no bounds. The other thing we can get from this is that throughout the Gospels, whenever there is somebody who is so sick they can't motivate on their own, this person couldn't, you know, probably walk through town without bumping into things because he can't hear people. If people cannot make it to Jesus on their own, there is always people to grab them and make a pallet and lower them from the ceiling or lead them by the hand or do any sort of thing to get them in front of Jesus. And that, of course is what we are to do. We are to find the dead and the dying in society and lead them to be in front of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this truth that it truly seems, and it is true, that there is no sickness too great for Jesus. There is no difficulty too great for Jesus. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do to glorify God and to glorify himself. Lord, we praise you for that, and we praise you for all that Christ has done for us on the cross. And we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.